Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for December 10th, 2023, the second Sunday of Advent. And by the way, this is our last Sunday School podcast until the week before January 7th. With the way that uh, the calendar falls this year and various activities at church, we won't have a Sunday school lesson again until January 7th. So look for a podcast about, oh, January 3 or 4. This week, we are looking at the story of Esau forgives Jacob. At least, that's the title that's in the CPH book, 120 Bible Stories. You can find that story on page 36 of that textbook, and it's drawn from Genesis chapters 32 and 33. And while it is true that Esau forgives Jacob in this story, there really is a whole lot more going on, and that may not be the big point. Nevertheless, last we heard, the brothers were not reconciled. Remember, Earlier on, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. And then later, Jacob and their mother, Rebekah, conspired to deceive Isaac, Jacob and Esau's father, so that Isaac gave to Jacob the blessing meant for the firstborn. And remember that that was kind of a... um, an ambiguous sort of deception, because on the one hand, it was deception, and it did involve lies. On the other hand, the Lord had declared in prophecy that the older would serve the younger, and thus Jacob deserved that blessing. And it was by Jacob and Rebekah's deception that that prophecy was fulfilled. God didn't need them to lie. He would have gotten it done anyway. Nevertheless, their deception led to the fulfilled prophecy that Jacob received the blessing, said the older would serve the younger. After that, of course, Esau vowed to kill his brother Jacob as soon as their father Isaac died. And so Rebekah told Isaac to send Jacob away back to the... uh, the homeland of Haran, where um, her brother Laban lived, so that Isaac might find a wife there from their from their family. Because remember, also Esau had married two Hittite women, who made his parents miserable. So Jacob has gone to Laban's household. There he falls in love with Rachel. He agrees to serve Laban, her father, for seven years to have her as his wife. And when he wakes up the morning after the wedding, he finds that he's in bed with Rachel's sister, Leah, because the one who connived to deceive his father to get the blessing has now been deceived, and he has a different wife than he thought he would. Rather than contend that marriage, Jacob instead works another seven years so that he might also have Rachel as his wife. 
And if you remember from last week's podcast, Jacob then has children from Leah, from Leah's and Rachel's maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. And then finally, Rachel has been barren, conceives and gives him a son, his most beloved son of the bunch, Joseph. Jacob works in Laban's household for a number of years, but if he is to continue on the, uh, the promises of God, he needs to return to the promised land as a descendant of Abraham who carries on that promise. And so, after a long time, and after he has great wealth, great prosperity, herds and flocks and servants and riches, Jacob tears himself away from Laban's household, which isn't an easy thing. And now he's headed back to Canaan, to the promised land. He wants to get back to to where he grew up. But somewhere between him and Canaan, his destination, there's Esau, his brother. And somewhere along the way, the two of them must meet and, um, and work things out. And so the journey continues back to Canaan in Genesis 32. And we'll start at verse 1. It's not in the Bible storybook, but it is an interesting verse. It says... Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now again, that doesn't make the story in the Bible storybook, but it is worth noting that on his way from Canaan to Haran, Jacob saw angels ascending and descending on that uh, on that staircase or that ziggurat or whatever that that bridge was between heaven and earth and he named that place Bethel or the house of God and now as he makes his way back towards Canaan he sees angels again and he called the place Mahanaim which means two camps and this is an interesting theme that runs through this this part of Jacob's life. Um, Two camps could certainly refer to the fact that he's seen angels twice at Peniel and now at Mahanaim. But there will also be other camps in this sequence. Um, There will be the camp of Jacob as opposed to the camp of Esau as they get close to meeting each other. Um, Jacob will divide his family into a couple of different camps that if Esau slaughters one, part of his family will survive. And there's also speculation that perhaps um, at Mahanaim, Jacob sees two different hosts of angels. So not just, uh, say, one, one army of angels, but, but two At any rate, the angels are with Jacob as he makes his way back to Canaan. Chapter 32, verse 3 continues, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, 
Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So it sounds like an odd greeting to establish peace, where Jacob sends his messengers to Esau to say, Hey, I've been staying with Laban, and I've done really well with your birthright and the blessing that was meant for you. But that's not the point. It's not a boast. Rather, he's saying to Esau, I do have prosperity and wealth, but I still send these servants to you humbly as a gesture of of humility on my part in hopes that uh, I can find favor in your sight in hopes that we can be reconciled. Well, the messengers come back, and the report doesn't sound like Esau feels like being reconciled. Esau is on his way, hot behind them, and he's got 400 men with him, which sounds like, and is, a pretty decently sized army. So, fearing the worst, Jacob divides his family into two different camps, So that, again, if Esau slaughters one, the other camp has a chance of getting away. Verse 9 continues, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now that really is a thoughtful and faithful prayer. Jacob knows he needs God's help. He knows he needs God's protection. But note the reason why he prays for that protection. He doesn't say, I'm good enough. He doesn't say, I've earned it or that I deserve this. In fact, he says, I'm not worthy of the least of the deeds of steadfast love. I'm not worthy of your help at all. Why does he say that God should help him and protect him from Esau and spare his life and the lives of his family? Because of God's command and because of God's promise. 
God has commanded, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And God has promised, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, if Jacob is to get back to the land as God has commanded, and if Jacob's descendants are going to be number like the sand of the sea, beyond counting so great a multitude, then they can't all be slaughtered and left for dead in the desert along the way. So Jacob's prayer is, O Lord, I don't deserve this, but I pray that you protect me and my family because you've promised to protect me and my family and you've you've got to keep your promise. Continuing with verse 13, So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Always more female animals than male animals because you just need one male to fertilize all the females to increase your herd exponentially. So it's a lavish gift that Jacob is giving to Esau. Verse 16 says, These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And what are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So here's Jacob's strategy for appeasing his brother. Wave after wave, drove after drove of of gifts of these herds and flocks. So you can see Esau thundering along with his 400 men, and they come upon this, this huge kind of mix of animals, and they say to the servants, who are you? Where are you going? And the servants say, well, this is a gift for Esau from his brother, his servant, Jacob. And if Esau says, I'm still mad, then he runs into the second drove, and there's more gifts. And if Esau says, I'm still mad, he runs into the third drove, and there's more gifts yet. So the idea is to offer wave upon wave upon wave of gifts to Esau, but it's not just, and perhaps not at all, an attempt to buy Esau's kindness. I mean, after all, Esau can take it all and slaughter Jacob anyway. What this is, is a peace offering of sorts. It's a request for forgiveness. And if Esau accepts these gifts, 
By accepting these gifts from his brother, he is saying, I forgive you for what you've done. Interesting verse, by the way, verse 20. After he sent out his servants and drove upon drove of animal, we read that he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. So Jacob is afraid of seeing the face of Esau. Because when he sees the face of Esau, Esau might very well be holding a sword in his hand, ready to run it through Jacob. And so in an attempt to appease his brother, he sends these gifts before he sees Esau's face. All right, so the gifts are on the way towards Esau, and we read in verse 22, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that they had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So in this night, you have two camps again. You have the camp of the family on one side of the river, and you have the camp of just Jacob by himself in the dark on the other side of the river. So Jacob waits alone in the dark, I suppose pondering what is to come, probably praying more. And in this darkness, it's got to be terrifying. This man comes out of seemingly nowhere, and he wrestles with Jacob. And the man is strong. He dislocates Jacob's hip after a long night of of wrestling. And dislocating a hip usually takes something like a serious car collision to cause to happen. So this, this, uh, this individual in the dark is displaying superhuman strength. And we know that this isn't just some wandering strong man who stumbled upon Jacob in the dark, but this is, this is God in human form. Because even after... Jacob's hip is out of its socket. He holds on to the man with whom he's wrestling, who says, let me go for the day is broken. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me, which is a strange thing to ask for from, an, from a uh, 
a midnight attacker. But this reveals that Jacob knows he's not just wrestling with some stranger, but he is in fact wrestling with God. And so God asks Jacob his name, and then he renames him Israel, and the name Israel means struggled with God and with man. And certainly between his, his childhood with Esau, some of his, uh, his tension with his father-in-law Laban, and now with this wrestling event, um, Jacob, Israel, has had a lot of struggling with man and with God. And in the future, his descendants, the nation of Israel, will certainly struggle with others and will certainly struggle with God. So, God blesses him, renames him, does not provide his own name, but Jacob knows, and then he vanishes. Jacob names the place Peniel, the face of God, for he says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Interesting, a few verses back, Jacob was afraid to see the face of Esau and was working hard to appease him with, with offerings, with works of sacrifice, if you will. And, and now because God has jumped him, Jacob has no time to do anything but to, but to wrestle. And, uh, and yet, um, because of God's mercy and blessing, he can say, I feared Esau's face. That's still not resolved, but I have seen the face of God and I have lived. Verse 32 continues. We'll go with verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, same thing as Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the right of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Kind of just a little interesting side note there that Moses throws in by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to chapter 33. Verse 1, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Side note for stories to come. You know, when we get to the story of Joseph's coat of many colors, that his brothers don't like him very much. And remember, when you've got one dad, four moms, and 11 brothers... There's probably going to be a fair amount of tension, and some of these guys are much older than Joseph is. So there's tension there already, kind of competitions between these brothers of different mothers. But this doesn't help either. Jacob sees Esau coming. He's already sent out these droves with servants to kind of serve as a buffer. And since Esau is still coming, Jacob says, Okay, I'll put my maidservants in and their sons from me in front, so they get slaughtered first. 
and then Leah and her kids behind them, and I'll keep Rachel and Joseph safest close to me. You think Joseph's brothers will forget that one? They're being used as cannon fodder to protect Jacob's favorite. And that won't help Joseph with his brothers later on whatsoever. All right, verse 4 of chapter 33. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. At last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. So Esau arrives, and he remarks on the size of the family and and all the gifts that, that Jacob has sent. And Jacob says, I sent those gifts to find favor in your sight. And and Esau says, no, I have enough. And if Esau has an army of 400 men with him, there's a lot of logistics behind that. Esau has done very well too. And so Esau rightly says, I have enough. And Jacob says, please accept this gift if I have found favor in your sight. In other words, if you accept this gift, you forgive me and will not hold the past against me. And then he pays this great compliment to Esau. He says, I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. A high bit of flattery? Sure. But just as God has accepted Jacob, an undeserving sinner, so Esau has now accepted Jacob for the deceptions and the poor treatment before. And now great news for Jacob. Jacob, Esau accepts the gifts. He forgives Jacob. They are reconciled. And so verse 12 continues, Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care for me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and seer. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way to Paddan Aram. And he camped before the city. 
And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. All right, so Esau says, um, why don't you come journey with me to uh, to Seir, where, where I live, we can, we can be, you know, households together. And, uh, and Jacob demurs. And perhaps it is because although they're reconciled, there's a possibility that they live close to each other, that, that tensions will flare once again. But more importantly is this. Esau lives in Seir, which is in Edom. It's not in Canaan. And the Lord has commanded Jacob to go back to the promised land. And while Jacob isn't upfront, forthright with Esau about that, he lets Esau go ahead and then he makes his way to Canaan as God has commanded. And that's where our story ends. And so before we finish the podcast, the question then is, how does this story point to Christ? Well, first off, again... This story continues the history of Jesus' ancestry. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs of Israel, and Jesus is born generations later within the 12 tribes of Israel. Second, when Jacob wrestles with God, his opponent, the wrestler, is most likely the second person of the Holy Trinity. That's Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, in human form, with so much power that he can touch a hip socket and throw it out of joint, and yet he'll allow his hands and his feet to be nailed to the cross for us and for our salvation. Third, Jacob is wounded by God and then renamed Israel, And thus he is the father of the nation of Israel, the father of God's chosen people, Israel. Jesus is likewise wounded by God. The crucifixion is God's wrath upon him. And Jesus is wounded by God so that we might be God's chosen people. Third, sorry, fourth, as I mentioned before, There's a lot going on here more than Esau forgives Jacob. The relationship between the brothers is established by the Lord when he tells Rebekah that the older will serve the younger. And Esau, the older, who's supposed to serve the younger, has previously vowed to kill Jacob because Jacob possesses the birthright and the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau, the firstborn son, even though... The prophecy, the older will serve the younger, so that that was meant for Jacob. While the brothers are reconciled, while all is forgiven, there is no explicit admission of wrongdoing. Jacob never confesses a sin. Esau never says, I forgive your sin. There is need for reconciliation of our past wrongs, and that reconciliation is achieved, however. The sins are never named. And in this reconciliation, Jacob is a type of Christ. Although the older is to serve the younger by divine decree, the younger humbles himself 
and declares himself to be Esau's servant and sends him gifts to achieve reconciliation. Likewise, Jesus, far more powerful than us, humbles himself and takes on the form of a servant to reconcile us to himself and gives us abundant gifts of life and salvation. Finally, Jacob is tested in the wilderness, and on his way through the wilderness, he's met by angels. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, he's attended by angels following his temptation. So in this story of Jacob and Esau meeting and Jacob's wrestling with God, we find a lot that points to Jesus. All right, that is our quick look at the story of Jacob and Esau's reconciliation. The Lord bless you as you continue to meditate upon this text. God grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. A blessed Christmas to you, and until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.